A strong biblical foundation is the baseline for Christian growth. Today on Daily in the Word, Dr. Paul Chappell challenges us to build on principles from God's Word. But I want you to understand if you feel the pricking of your conscience during this sermon, that's not this preacher trying to make you feel guilty. That's not this preacher trying to beat you over the head with a club of legalism. It may be the Holy Spirit lovingly saying, don't do that, you're going to ruin your marriage. Listen, when a man begins to relabel Holy Spirit conviction with guilt, he's all the way out the door. Spiritual discipline sounds great in theory, but putting it into practice takes time and determination. In our series, Building Below the Baseline, Pastor Chapel illustrates the importance of building the part of life that no one else sees, but God. Welcome to Daily in the Word. This program features the teaching and preaching of Dr. Paul Chapel, pastor of Lancaster Baptist Church and president of West Coast Baptist College in Lancaster, California. Our churches and homes today need Christians willing to build their lives on eternal truth rather than worldly trends. Our series today is designed to give us practical lessons that will help us pursue a life marked by biblical wisdom. And now, here's Pastor Paul Chapel with part two of a message called Building a Good Conscience. The conscience that is a good conscience is displayed toward God and toward men. So let's notice, first of all, he says, here, I always exercise, uh, always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. So let's look, first of all, at this matter of toward God. And the Bible says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall what? See? Right? So it begins with that pure heart. It begins with that undefiled heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. That man that's truly panting after God. That man that is seeking after God. That man that has a heart for God uh, is going to see God at work in his life. Now listen, there are many things that we want to see in our family lives. We want to see children that have a tender heart. We want to see children that live in purity. We want to see them walk down the aisle uh, in purity. We want to see revival. We want to see people saved. There are many ways we want to see the manifestation of God. There are many ways we see the manifestation of God. We see it in nature. We see it at the Grand Canyon. We see it in the Rocky Mountains. We saw it this morning when somebody got saved. But how many of you want to see God move again and again and again? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now I believe the Holy Spirit is easily quenched. How many of you believe the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity? Third person of the Trinity. I think of this as perhaps a poor illustration, but my wife, who is the godliest Christian I know, if I were to not speak kindly, or if I were to neglect her, or if I were to uh, not answer her and be distracted for some period, it might take a little while because she's very godly, but over time I could grieve my wife if she said to me, uh, what do you want to do for dinner tonight? And I said, stop asking me questions like that. Now, some of you would be at the morgue. We understand that. <laughs> but at the very least, what happens in your wife's heart right there is she is grieved. She's grieved. Teenagers can grieve their parents. But the Holy Spirit can be grieved. Ephesians 4.30, grieve not the Holy Spirit. And so we must recognize that from the heart... We do not want to grieve God. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is sensitive to this, to this point. 
that if we are here begging for revival, begging for souls to be saved, and the Holy Spirit is going to and fro in this auditorium, and there's someone in this auditorium, the Holy Spirit in your heart is, He's being grieved by your life and by your heart. I believe that you can literally quench and literally prevent revival in your family by having a heart and a conscience that's not good. I know, I don't, I know for one that I do not want to be the hindrance to revival at Lancaster Baptist Church. Besides my own prayer life and my, my walk with God, I, I think of the Lord's table. Every time I sit up here during the Lord's table, I search my heart many, many days before the Lord's table, but even at that last moment, before we take the wafer and the cup, Holy Spirit of God, if there's anything in my heart not right with you, my family, someone in the church, reveal it to me. Because I do not want to be the hindrance of revival at Lancaster Baptist Church. Nor should you want to be the hindrance of revival at Lancaster Baptist Church. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, James said, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. 1 Samuel 16 tells us, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Now many people take that verse completely out of context. They say, well, only man cares what's on the outside. You shouldn't care what's on the outside. Number one, you should care about the outside. Yes, man looks on the outward. And they should see the presence of God in your life. But then it does say, God looketh on the heart. Now just remember tonight that when Paul said, herein do I exercise myself, he said, my first exercise is toward the Lord. It's below the baseline. It's, it's where you're not going to see my prayer life, my devotional life. You're not going to see that exercise that says, as the psalmist of old, Lord, search my heart and try me and show me if there be any wicked way in me. Oh God, cleanse my heart. Purify my heart from double-mindedness. The display of this right conscience is first of all toward God. It's below the baseline because no one else knows what's going on in your devotions. Your wife may have a hint, your children may have a hint, but ultimately no one really knows your heart. But Paul said, I exercise myself first toward God. That is my first audience, my first concern is not how I appear. And in this day of, of being concerned with public appearance, we better recognize the importance of a private walk with God. In your life and in mine, we all have a front stage and a backstage. And how many of you know if you were to go watch maybe a drama or maybe see a, some kind of a, of, a, of a Broadway show, how many of you have been to something like that and, and the, the essence and the clarity with which someone said their lines and enunciated and the, the, the acting that was involved, how many of you would say, man, that was magnificent and you knew that it took a lot of work in the backstage before that performance came, huh? And, and if they don't take that time in the backstage, going over the lines, going over the lines, practicing, 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 no, that was wrong, do it again, again and again and again and again, until it's perfect. If they don't take that time in the backstage, chances are when they get to the front stage, they're going to they're gonna fall, they're going to miss their line, they're going to ruin the entire show. Because in everyone's life, there's a backstage and there's a front stage. In everyone's life, there's below the baseline and there's above the baseline. And I'm saying tonight that if we don't have something real with God in the the backstage then inevitably 
there's failure on the front stage. So Paul said, I exercise first toward God, toward God, keeping it real below the baseline with God. And then notice, secondly, toward man, toward man. Now, sometimes I've had people say to me, I don't care what that guy thinks about me. First of all, that's a very proud statement. And can I tell you something? You should care. You should hope that every unsaved man you know sees Jesus in you. And it's not wrong to think and to pray that in the context of Christianity, in the context of the local church, that you would have what the Bible defines in 1 Timothy 3 as a good reputation. It's not wrong in the sense of glorifying God to have a good testimony amongst men. It's not wrong when they say of you, well, that man had an excellent spirit like Daniel. That man had wisdom like Joseph. I mean, all of a sudden he became a, a captain. All of a sudden she got this promotion and it's just, look at how they live. There's just some wisdom there. There's some distinctiveness there. It's okay uh, when the world sees the hand of God in your life. That's what Paul said. I want to have a right conscience toward God and also toward men. Now, if that's going to happen, there's two ways that we're going to have the right conscience toward men. Two ways, and I'll close. First is called sanctification. Please turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 for just a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2. We're talking about having the right conscience toward men. 2 Corinthians 4, 2. And I know what some people might say, well, here we are, Bible-living Baptist Church, separation and soul-winning, that's all they talk about. But let's just talk about it for just a moment. Separation. You cannot have a right testimony toward men if you're not living a separated life. Paul said, I have a clear conscience. Nobody saw me stoking a, uh, a this or that. No one saw me listening to this. No, no one saw me abscounding funds. No one saw this. Whatever the case might be, he said, I have a clear conscience toward men. Now notice this, 2 Corinthians 4, 2. But we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, watch this now, but by manifestation of the truth. Would you say that please? But by manifestation, one more time, but by so that's the outward display of truth, commending ourselves, what? To every man's conscience in the sight of God. Paul said he lived his life in such a way that any honest observer of his life in their heart, it bore witness with them that this person was genuine. This person was living for God. And so it was in 2 Corinthians 6 and 17. He said, we are to be separated, come out and be separate uh, from uh, the world. And I'm just simply saying that all of us will stumble and all of us will discourage our own selves. But our daily goal should be to exercise ourselves unto a good conscience that we would be void of offense toward God and toward our fellow man. And so here we see the Apostle Paul say that by manifestation of the truth, others will see God 
in us. I believe tonight that God has not called us to blend in. God has called us to come out. That's why this church does emphasize measures of holiness. That's why we do teach our children how to dress on these activities. That's why we do not endorse the so-called CCM movement. That's why we're not endeavoring to have Christian rock concerts at Lancaster Baptist Church. Why? Because all of that is about blending the world's culture in with the church. And I am not interested, nor is God's Word advocating blending in. God has advocated to us that we are to come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing. You're not going to have a clear conscience if your life is indistinguishable from the world. Now, someone says, well, I, I, have, I have liberty to do what I want to do. I'm glad you said that. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, if you would, please. We're almost done, but stay right with me. Hold your place in 2 Corinthians 4, because we're going to come back there and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. First Corinthians 8, 9. But take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. Now let's pause right here. If I understand Christian liberty, then I understand this. That I could go in and watch uh, a movie that is displeasing to Christ. And, and I could go and do that or turn it on or whatever. And I would still go to heaven if I understand grace. Salvation is not by me being perfect. It's by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So if I understand grace and liberty, you can do something that someone else wouldn't do and you can still go to heaven. You understand it that way as well? By the way, how many of you are thankful for that grace? But the scriptures say, Take heed lest by any man's means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. That's why the Bible says, lay aside the sin and the weights that could so easily beset you. In other words, there are some things that you could do, but maybe it would be better not to do those. Even though you have the liberty, even though uh, theologically you could press the point, it may be good that you do not do that so that you can have this good conscience towards your neighbor. Watch this. I have a lot of brand new Christians come to our home. I have people that aren't even saved come to our home. I have members that have been in our church a long time. All different kinds of people. But if I'm going to have somebody come into my home and this somebody has been struggling with substance abuse, excuse me, the last thing they need to see in my refrigerator is alcohol. Well, I think you can have a little here and there. To me, that's not the point. The point is that I don't want to be a stumbling block to them. Oh, legalists, legalists, making up rules. No, just rightly dividing the word and trying to be a good testimony, having a conscience void of offense. That's all I'm trying to do. Not trying to be holier than thou. Just trying to say, I want my testimony to be what God would have it to be. Notice the rest, verse 10. For if any man see, that, see thee which hast knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple, and you know the background here, the, the meat which was offered to the idols, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when ye so sin against the brethren, and would their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. In other words, Paul said, I don't want to do anything that will cause someone else to stumble. When I speak of the name of God, I'm very careful not to use slang. I want to uplift the name of God. When I speak of my wife, I'm very careful to speak to her and, and speak of her in proper terms. I don't want to give anyone the doubt ever that there's any issue there. She's the queen of our home. 
God, help the men in this room who speak ill of your wife and then try to say, well, she's not meeting your needs. I'm going to tell you something. There's a law of sowing and reaping, gentlemen. You need to learn how to treat your wife with godly love. So the Bible teaches that if we're to have a right testimony toward God, then it's with the heart, a purifying, a dying to self, alive to the Spirit. And toward men, if I'm going to have the right testimony toward men, I can't say, I don't care what they think about me. I'll do what I want to do. I want to be sensitive to the fact that, yes, man looks on the outward and God looks on the heart. But since you do look on the outward, I want you to see things in my life that would lead you to the Lord Jesus Christ. There are some people that you work with, gentlemen. You are the only thing of Jesus Christ they will ever see. Will your testimony lead them to Christ or away from Christ? How can you have a right conscience tonight if you're at work cussing, if you're at work late, if you're at work complaining, if you are indistinguishable from every other reprobate at work, why would he want your Jesus Christ? And, and you don't have to say amen there because I understand. That's where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? Not what's going on in here tonight, but what's happening at work tomorrow. The second way that you can have a right conscience toward men is through soul winning through soul winning. Turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2. Now we're really almost done. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2. Reminds me of the story of the little Catholic boy and Baptist boy. And the little Baptist boy said, I want you to come to my church. And the Catholic boy said, well, I'll come to your church if you come to my church. So the Baptist boy went to the Catholic boy's church and the priest came down and he put wafers in people's mouths and the Baptist boy said, what's that? He says, that's when we take the body of Christ. And, and then they did the, the juice. He said, that's when we take the blood of Christ. And, and then they stood up and, and genuflexed and prayed. And this is when we pray. And the little Baptist boy kept asking, what's that mean? And the little Catholic boy told him. Next week they went to the Baptist church. And uh, the Baptist preacher stood up. He opened the Bible. He took his watch off of his wrist and he placed it right down on the pulpit. And the little Catholic boy said, what does that mean when he does that with his watch? And the Baptist boy said, nothing, absolutely nothing. Notice the text. Herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Coming back to 2 Corinthians just a moment. How do you have a conscience void of offense toward men? In separation or sanctification and soul winning. You say, man, I tell you, I've been in this church a long time. It's always separation, soul winning, separation, soul winning. Welcome to my country. You can't have a clear conscience if you're living an ungodly life and never telling somebody about Jesus. <laughs> How can we have a conscience void of offense toward people we work with if we never show them and we never tell them about Jesus Christ? So look at this text here, 2 Corinthians 4.2. But have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Now the implication is this, that the right manner of biblical preaching combined with the right manner of biblical living will touch their conscience in such a way that they will be drawn to Jesus Christ. What 2 Corinthians 4 teaches us is that when I'm living the right life and combining that with the right message, 
That is a powerful tool into the heart of someone that needs Jesus Christ. But if I'm living an ungodly life, and once a year because I sort of have to because the pastor said, I'm going to give a tract to a guy at work who knows I don't live it out, it's not a very powerful tool at all. So the conscience toward man is only going to be right when we have a separated life and a soul-winning life. Now the final verse tonight, and I'm done. Turn there, please. 1 Peter 3.15. We've seen the conscience defined. We've seen the conscience developed through godly exercise. And we've seen the conscience displayed to God and to men. So as we close tonight, look at 1 Peter 3.15. 1 Peter 3.15. Would you stand with me please for the closing reading of the Word of God. First Peter 3, 15 and 16. I hope everybody has it. I'd like you to read it with me as we close tonight. Ready, begin. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a... that whether they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. Now, there will be times when you are blamed and accusations given. And the Bible teaches us to be blameless. That means don't let the blame stick to you. But we see here in this passage having a good conscience. So that if they speak evil of you, if they say things against you as an evildoer, they would be ashamed that they ever said such things by the way you live your life. I've seen dozens of men saved here. I've never had to tell them to get rid of their earring. They just knew that that was a part of their old life. They come to church the next week with, with a hole in their ear where there used to be an earring. I, I've seen men go get a Bible. I've seen men... Listen, how many of you thank God for the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit of God? Is your life still conforming to Christ or have you stopped? Are you still yielding? Are you still endeavoring? exercising yourself unto godliness? Paul had the leading ACLU attorney of the day, Tertullus, and the leading ecumenical leader of the day, the chief priest, accusing him before the highest authority in their region, saying, this guy's nothing but a troublemaker. And he said, hey, you can say what you want. I know I'm a sinner saved by grace, he could have said, but he said this, Herein do I exercise myself, that I might have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. How's your conscience tonight? Toward God. I'm talking below the baseline. Toward God. The part that we can't see. And how's your conscience tonight? Toward men. If God has spoken to your heart tonight, I'm going to pray. And when I say amen, whether there's a piano or singing, I do not know. But when I say amen, if you have a passion tonight that your children have parents with a good conscience, if you have a passion tonight that your life would be known for having that kind of conscience, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, if that's your passion moving forward toward God and toward men, then I want to encourage you to take time Hopefully this message has not been to a seared conscience. Hopefully this message didn't reach back to the 18th row and go, bing. 
bing, like a BB coming off of a metal building. Hopefully, you're not to that point. And if it's your desire to have a good conscience, or if God's convicted you that you've been having some defilement of conscience, then throw it off, my friend. You've been listening to Daily in the Word with Dr. Paul Chappell, pastor of Lancaster Baptist Church and president of West Coast Baptist College in Lancaster, California. If you'd like to connect with Pastor Chappell on Facebook or Twitter, go to paulchappell.com and click on his social media links. While you're there, be sure to sign up for his free Daily in the Word email devotional and take a look at all the helpful resources. Again, that's paulchappell.com. We hope today's message has encouraged you. Dr. Chappell serves as a pastor of Lancaster Baptist Church, and he is the author of many books. But most of all, he has a passion and love for you. If you've been helped through Dr. Chappell's ministry, he'd love to hear your story. Visit us on our website today, where you can listen to today's entire message, become a partner in the Word, and sign up for Pastor Chappell's Daily in the Word email devotional. Visit us at paulchappell.com. And thank you for listening today. Be sure to join us next time as we continue to discover God's answers for today's challenges here on Daily in the Word.